So gratitude comes from the heart center. Mm -hmm. As I was talking earlier, the heart center is the fourth chakra. The heart center is that's that space of compassion and gratitude and grace and connection. So in the Kundalini philosophy and the Kundalini yogic technology, it would be, it's a bit, it's a little bit wordy, but it's Guru Guru Wahi Guru, Guru Ram Das Guru. And so Guru Ram Das was a yogi, um, yogi healer a long, 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 long time ago in India. And he was, he was a person of service. So in gratitude, there is a level of, of, of bowing and serving others to raise our own consciousness. Welcome to the Gratitude Podcast on www.georgeandbenta.com, where you'll hear a new story each week that will inspire more gratitude in your own life. Our mission is to inspire 100,000 people to discover how to feel gratitude and live a happy life through the amazing life stories of our successful guests and their actionable tips. And now, the host of our podcast, George and Benta. Hi, Gratitude Seeker. Welcome to a new episode of the Gratitude Podcast. Our guest today is a psychotherapist and spiritual scientist. Growing up in an ashram, she was immersed in deep spirituality from an early age, falling asleep to the sound of chanting in her parents' yoga classes in the late 70s. Because of the world of yoga, spiritual awakening and mindfulness, she um, worked with integrating that part of herself and science with research and um, all of the things that have to do with the Eastern and the Western philosophies. Her work has created a full practice with a wait, waiting list year-round and the government of Taiwan hired her to train their doctors and psychiatrists in meditation therapy. She's also a certified international she's also certified internationally in yoga and meditation instruction. In her book, The Stressless Brain, Madernan Webster, our guest today, draws on a wide array of scientific studies, spiritual traditions, and her own 22 years of professional experience to share practical, actionable ways in which you can shift your thinking, change how you see yourself, and strengthen your self-esteem, just to name a few. Mather, welcome to the Gratitude Podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. My pleasure. So, let us know a little bit more about you, about um, what you're passionate about, and what does a spiritual scientist even mean? <laughs> I know, isn't that a great, great term? Yeah, I love um, it. <laughs> um, so I've been, as you mentioned, I've been doing therapy, psychotherapy for over 22 years, and um, I came into this profession because I really love helping people. I love connecting to people's stories, and I really love giving people tools to enhance and change and move forward in their life. And 
Ironically, before I was a therapist, I was actually studying to be an international business marketing. Back in, this is the early 90s, I spoke fluent German, I spoke English, um, and I was studying Japanese. So I was like on that path. (laughs) And I started realizing I didn't want to be a part of that cutthroat that cutthroat environment. And so I changed majors and I spent some time speaking with my mother and looking at all the things that I loved learning, all the things that I I did already know. And it came down to counseling. And so I ended up switching majors and came into this, this field of work. And, um, you know, when it comes to psychotherapy, there is the traditional teaching that you can learn in school, just, you know, all the forefathers of mental health and family systems and um, the brain and the mind. But it wasn't really until I started integrating mindfulness, meditation, yoga, Eastern technology, Kundalini awareness into my psychotherapy practice that there really was a big shift. And that happened 15 years ago. And it was actually my clients who were asking for it. Because I, I used to keep my, my spiritual teaching and yogic teaching and meditation teaching separate from my psychotherapy. I just didn't integrate the two because none of that was taught in graduate school. Nothing about spirituality. Not even, we, didn't, we didn't even study religion, which is just amazing to think of. Um, in this field, you would think that they would cover that. Maybe it's, I'm sure it's changed now. It's been a long time, but my clients were the ones who had come to some of my classes. And when they'd come into my office, they were like, okay, great. You're telling me about my parents and my family, you know, my background and my childhood, but tell me more about what you were talking about in class this last week. And so I started integrating the Eastern philosophies of consciousness and your soul identity and how the yogis look at the mind and our glands and and our breath and as i was doing this because i i am a lifelong learner i love learning i started looking into science and psychology and with research within the world of yoga and meditation because even though I've had my own experiences of feeling connected with myself, being able to drop deep into my awareness, just because I know I have that experience, I, I still wanted to know this, some of the science behind it. And so I, you know, a few years before I started writing my book, I just started getting into more neuroscience and biology and research and all of this, you know, all of this information started coming and, and now it's, it's quite mainstream to talk about mindfulness and meditation and science and the brain and the mind. And, but that wasn't, that was not part of the psychology world or really even much of the science world 25 years ago. That's so interesting. Indeed. We, we got used to this and uh, now it seems that, um, everyone is talking about these these topics, but um, like you said, it it really wasn't something that people used to talk about. Which I think it's it's a good thing, and 
um it's thanks thanks to people like you doing their their part in the world and that these things are uh coming to to the surface more but i also wanted to ask you um i'm really curious if you've seen um in both your experience and also in uh, in your research things that have to do with gratitude from the perspective of science and also from the perspective of spirituality and if you see a certain relationship between the two well there's a saying you know the attitude of gratitude and <clears throat> and when we look at gratitude if you look at gratitude in, in, let's just go with science for a moment, with biology, when, we, when a human being or a human is in that gratitude, there's something that happens in relaxation within the body and the mind. Like you go into the parasympathetic nervous system. Because when, when we're not grateful, like when we're not sitting in gratitude of, of being able to see our blessings, as a society... I'm not sure how it is in Eastern Europe or Western Europe, but, but the United States, that people are really quick to, to, to get angry and get frustrated. And why is it always happening to me and, and have a, an intense passion? But rarely do you see people have an intense passion when things are going well. It, it's almost like that's how it should just be. And so if, if you think about the energy in our body, when we actually have that gratitude, we have an attitude of gratitude, which means to me that we're able to be aware of our blessings at the same time as we're aware of our shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And that being aware of our shortcomings does not mean that our blessings and our gifts are obsolete. I love this. It's being able to hold both, both in your consciousness. So, yeah, because a lot of people I find, you know, they come and they say, I, I just want to be happy. And, 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 you know, I look at them, I'm, well, what does happiness mean? And, and a lot of times people, you know, associate happiness with something outside of themselves. And so that then draws into the conversation with clients around self-esteem and self-worth and, and, and there's, you know, there's three kinds of self-esteem. There's three kinds of self-worth. There's, there's um, other people esteem, meaning if I have a lot of friends or a lot of people like my post on social media or I'm popular or I get a lot of phone calls, then I'm worthy. And so, it, but if we don't get that, then we feel like we're horrible. So our self-esteem is based on something outside of us. Or it's achievement self-esteem, which means that if I get a raise or if I have six figures or if someone, you know, tells me, oh, you know, you're so smart when you do X, Y, Z, or we get an A, and then we feel, oh, I'm worthy. But if we're not getting that, which, you know, I talk with clients about short-term and long-term gratification. And we tend to want the short-term gratifications, which is that I got an A, I got a raise. Um, you know, it could even be as simple as I lost five pounds, which for some people can be really difficult. But it, it, it's this external object or, 
or you know information coming within to us that now I feel good about myself. So an attitude of gratitude connects to the third, which is I hold myself in high regard. I love myself even when I can see and hold my flaws, even when I can celebrate and shine in my gifts. Both can be true at the same time. And sometimes I have great achievements and sometimes I might fall down. And yet yeah. it's, you know, and the thing is I tell clients, like, I wish it was different, but it's not. We as human beings grow the most through hardship. And, you know, it, one of the things um, when I was looking on your website, you were asking, you know, what would, you know, what's one of my most favorite quotes and my favorite quote, and I was trying to look up to see who said it originally it was said back in the late sixties. And I couldn't find the name. I'm sorry, but I say no it problem. all the time. It's the attitude, excuse me. It's, it's not the life you live. It's the courage you bring to it. Mm. You know, it's like, just like, let that sink in. It's not the life you live. It's the courage you bring to it. And every single autobiography that's written by somebody, you know, not everyone, but I would say most of them, it is all about how they moved through, overcame, faced hardship and how, what they learned from it. It's not about, oh, I'm so handsome and I make six figures and, you know, it's not, I mean, like we can see that in a reality show or on, you know, a movie or social media, but it, it, it's the, the inspiration is, wow, that person had such courage to face this pain or move through this experience. And it's in, it's in that moment, if we can pause and reflect back in our life and be like, you know, I have overcome some, some hardships. So they could be big, they could be small, but then it's looking at being grateful of that experience. Of look, look at what, that was difficult, that was painful, and I was able to get through it. Yeah, and that's the, the human experience. And uh, we can identify with those stories. We almost all of us have had our hardships one way or another bigger or smaller and some of them we were able to overcome some we might have not but um i think that that's one of the reasons why uh, why they inspire us so much because we might be going through some hardships right now and we mm -hmm. want that inspiration and we want to, to see that there is hope and uh, that things can get better for us as they uh, have gotten better for for other people and yeah it, it's usually uh, another interest interesting thing that i've seen is that um in these moments of hardship or at least after after those moments we feel most grateful as well mm -hmm. because we have other people that are stepping in one way or another and we are vulnerable enough to to need help because otherwise we we might not um, reach out or let ourselves be helped and this leads to 
to gratitude and i think that's that's very interesting and it uh, relates to what you just said in the time before AT&T fiber internet shame 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 what did you do love i ran out of internet data and they're making your shame walk no it's just how i feel shame shame in the time after AT&T fiber internet nice to have unlimited internet data right right the dawn of a better internet era with AT&T Fiber. Limited availability in select areas. Check eligibility at att.com slash get fiber. Restrictions apply. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're right in a sense of not everything works out. There is tragedy. And there is pain. And um, that is a part of life. It, it, um, the thing is, is that when when we have a a painful experience in our life how our minds make sense of it can become a lens that we look at our life through so if 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 how our mind makes sense of why did this happen to me or this always happens to me or it's not fair then that unfortunately will become your lens to your experiences moving forward to some extent. And that is when we end up looping back into the same thing happening to us again and again, because we haven't changed. We haven't shifted, we haven't grown, we haven't deepened our awareness, even though something didn't work out, even though something was painful. And so it is part of it is that ability to be able to stop and look at, okay, I can look at it this way, but I could look at it another way. And, and if we can hold curiosity and creativity within our consciousness and within our awareness, and we can cultivate those two tools, creativity and consciousness, then we're able to make you know deal with something in a way that shifts the lens and we grow from it because hardship is going to keep happening i would yeah i do believe if we don't change on our own within ourselves and push ourselves to some extent something externally will come along and, and shake up your life if it's if it's a you know medical thing or if it's a financial thing or if it's a you know, global thing, or if it's a, you know, relational thing, something will shake it up because, you know, like there's that saying, you know, the the one constant in life is change. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. That's so So, true. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So, yeah, I just wanted to add that, um, we are always changing and or at least life is always changing and sometimes it's not very easy for us to adapt and um, if we are aware it's much easier for us to to adapt and it's much easier for us to grow and to see those things that might become bigger problems or might attract bigger problems and when we when we have awareness we can identify them before they actually happen but if we are unaware 
we might need like you said something from from the exterior to show those things to us and um it's much better for all of us that uh that we are aware before they need to happen one way or another so yeah i, I totally agree with that and, and that's a good segue into the meditation and yogic technology that I encourage people to practice their meditation first thing in the morning. And so before our call, I was up early and I did my yoga and I do my meditation. And it's about dialing into the frequency of consciousness to be able to operate in the day, to be able to be in that frequency of awareness within your relationships, your communication, your responses. And the yoga and the meditation also works on helping the nervous system. So if there is a crisis, we're less in reaction and more in response or pausing. And science has found that, that um, you know, meditation does work on the brain. It does create more GABA amino acid in the frontal lobe. It does increase the gray matter in the frontal lobe. It, it increases when you do chanting or singing hymns. It increases um, the, the white matter in the upper partial part of the brain. It, it, you know, the sound current of chanting and the breath work work on the brain and also stimulates the vagus nerve. So there is things that are happening in your brain that feed into that being more mindful being able to stop and think before we, we react, being more connected to the parasympathetic nervous system rather this, the, than always leaping into the sympathetic nervous system, which is, tr can be triggered by the amygdala, which is the fight, flight, and freeze, which is the animal part of our brain. So, so go ahead. Yeah, um, I was just thinking that um, what I've seen in my own experience is that when uh, when I do yoga and I uh, meditate, um, even gratitude comes much easier. And I thought that was so interesting that um, by by doing certain practices, it's much easier to get in a state of gratitude. I don't mm -hmm. know if uh, if you've seen that in in your experience as well or in your research. Yeah. You know, gratitude, it, it's, it's that I find it's that state of mind of being more aware. And the, the yogis believe that the soul, that we have a soul and that our soul's here for a human experience. And the soul is in that constant state of, of non-attachment. And sometimes I think that, you know, when we think about gratitude, we think that it's always being happy. It's always being thankful for everything we get, be it good or bad. I think that gratitude is this, it's, it's a state of consciousness and awareness of looking at like, oh, okay, this is really hard. And I know that on some level, I'm going to get through it. How I might not know, but I have a sense of trust. And, and so that's the piece of, well, what does trust mean? And in the yogic sense, trust is that feeling of I, I am connected to the universal consciousness and that I am a part of the frequency of, of, of this higher consciousness 
you know, call what you will, God, Jesus, Muhammad, the sun, the moon, it doesn't really matter. But even science talks that there is a universal flow of consciousness. And in that sense, in the awareness of gratitude, part of to be able to hold on to that, like you were saying earlier, hope, it, I think it's really important to have a sense of trust. And in, when we've had pain in our past, when we've had our parents hurt us or our family members hurt us or a partner really hurt us emotionally, physically, financially, it can shatter or really hurt that sense of trust. Will I be taken care of? Will this work out? I'm working so hard. And that's where that spiritual awareness is important of connecting to this frequency. And, you know, it could be really as simple as connecting to your breath. And most people, unfortunately, don't breathe correctly. They breathe into their chest only and they don't use their diaphragm. So like one way to think of it is some nice, good belly breaths where when you inhale, your belly becomes big, your, you know, your diaphragm comes out, your raise, the oxygen goes into your lungs, your shoulders might rise a little bit. And when you're doing long, deep breathing, you would want to hold your breath for just like, you know, four seconds. And then when you exhale, your shoulders relax, your upper chest relaxes. And at the end of the exhale, you want to pull your navel into the back of the spine, kind of like a hugging in. And that, what that does is that collapses the diaphragm, which helps to really empty the, empty the CO2 out, which prepares you for the next breath. Spiritually, the, the philosophy is that when you pull that navel in, that you're connecting to your own dormant awareness. And the more you do that, there is an awakening that can happen inside of you. And so doing that simple breathing and bringing your mind's focus to the process of your breath, it could be as simple as thinking, I'm inhaling, I can feel my diaphragm move, I can feel my lungs move, now I'm holding my breath. Now I'm exhaling, my shoulders relaxed a little bit. Now my chest is relaxing. Now my stomach is coming into the back of the spine. I'm holding my breath out. And now I'm in, like it could be that simple. And as a person becomes more comfortable to the flow of their breath, then they could bring in mantra. They could bring in, you know, a, a mental focus that helps to entertain the mind because the minute we start becoming familiar with something, our mind can start to wander and it's harder to hold that focus. You actually anticipated one of my questions. Oh. <laughs> Why are uh, mantras and chants so effective? Oh my God, I love chants and mantras. Um, and most people I know, and I've been teaching all over the world for many, many years. And most people who say, oh, I'm not sure about chanting. Once they really chant, most people love chanting over breath meditations <laughs> because it opens, like if, we, if we go with it with the emotional for a moment, when you, you know, are singing or chanting or you know, even singing hymns or reading gospel, whichever your faith is, there's an opening in the heart center. And, and the yogis believe that the heart center is the gateway between who we are as human experiences 
to who we are soul experiences. It allows that connection to open. It's also where compassion is, where grace is, where connection is. So that's like the psychology and the, the spiritual essence of, of meditation. That's like the short version. Um, Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I could spend seven days talking just about about the benefits of med- of chanting. So, in in science and research, they have found that when you chant and you can hear your own voice, and it comes out of your mouth and it goes into your ear and it bounces on the eardrum and then it hits the hypothalamus in the brain, and then it connects to the pituitary that it, it actually relaxes you inside. Mm. Research also has found this research study in Scandinavia. I don't remember. I think it was Sweden, but it's in my book. They talked about, they studied chanting, singing in hymns, talking in tongues, reading from the Bible. And they found that all of those behaviors or tools, if you will, help to increase the white matter in the upper partial part of the brain. And white matter, the more white matter we have in the brain, we are able to emotionally process our life better. So one way that I, I, I bring that into everyday life is when you're driving in the car or riding your bicycle and let's say you're really upset you're 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 maybe you're really sad and you're crying or maybe you're really angry and you're really you know just really angry our mind is going to be on the you know path of like why this happened to me or why you know oh or why is this happening to me i'm so sad and this isn't fair this isn't fair you know depending on what you know avenue you're going anger or sadness and we can get stuck in the more like you know in quantum physics the more the more the more angry you are the more angry you'll become so what i tell people is this is the time even when you're feeling these emotions and yes it could be a real event that's upsetting you you can use mantra or chants or or prayer or hymns to really start belting it out so, you know, if you're Christian, you could be singing this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, this little light of, and maybe you don't believe it. That's okay. Or maybe you're chanting hummy hum, bram hum, hummy hum, bram hum, which means we are we, we are one, we're connected to everything. So, you know, or there's a Buddhist chant or a Jewish chant or a Muslim. But the thing is, is that once you start chanting out loud, over, I'm telling you, over the next it could be one to five minutes, your awareness and your energy will start to change because you're shifting the frequency by bringing in a mantra, by bringing in a prayer. One of the reasons I do encourage people sometimes, especially if you have a lot of um, anxiety and and a lot of depression, I encourage people to chant or sing hymns in a, a language that's not your mother tongue. The reason why is our minds are super powerful. And if we're saying like, let's say we'll go with the first, the first prayer I was singing, it's a Christian one, this little light of mine. And you know, you're chant, chanting this little light of mine, you're singing. 
and your mind's going to go like, what light? I feel like shit. My life is horrible. I just got dumped. Like, what do you mean my light? Nobody even like, you know, our mind's going to fight it more because it, it's our mother tongue. If, if you're speaking French or Spanish or, you know, Hindi, you don't want to use your mother tongue. But if you then, you know, chant in another language, you, yes, you, you can read what it means, but if you're, let, let's say the chant hummy hum brum hum, and if you're just saying hummy hum brum hum, hummy hum brum hum, it, it allows us to connect to that frequency and it's harder for our mind to try to counterbalance it, counter attack it. So that's one. Second, you're increasing that white matter in, in the upper partial part of the brain that will help you process the situation. And third, it's connecting you to a frequency. You know, if you think about there's a universal um, awareness and flow of energy, it connects us to that. And fourth, when we chant, it actually stimulates our vagus nerve. So in the vagus nerve allows us to Sorry, the vagus nerve allows us to calm ourselves from the inside. So science has found that when you stimulate the vagus nerve, it relaxes your organs and glands. It can lower inflammation in your body. And when we, inflammation can cause depression. A lot of autoimmune diseases come from inflammation in our body. So there's a lot of benefits of, of chanting and singing hymns and prayer. Wow. I, I love it. And it makes so much sense. Um, I, I've seen it work in, in my own experience. And um, I, I know it's, it's, it's maybe not, not as deep, but uh, just to, to give a, a similar example. Um, for instance, I, I love listening to songs in, in other languages. Um, especially because I don't understand that language. And it just uh, helps me connect with the feeling of the song. And I think it's, it's something similar uh, in this situation as well. I'm not analyzing the, the song with, with my brain, with my mind. I'm just enjoying it. I'm just feeling it. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's something similar in this situation as well but i i wanted to ask you i'm really curious if there is uh, a chant um for gratitude or that is related to gratitude so gratitude comes from the heart center mm -hmm. as i was talking earlier the heart center is the fourth chakra the heart center is that's that space of compassion and gratitude, and grace, and connection. So in the Kundalini philosophy, in the Kundalini te yogic technology, it would be, it's a, bit, it's a little bit wordy, but it's Guru Guru Wahi Guru, Guru Ram Das Guru. And so Guru Ram Das was a yogi, um, yogi healer a long, 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 long time ago in India. And he was he was a person of service. So in gratitude, there is a level of, of, of bowing and serving others to raise our own consciousness. 
So it's, it's gratitude really is not just about the I, it's about the we. It's that connection to others. It's, it's that. So, so by chanting Guru Guru Wahe Guru, Guru Ram Das Guru, you're able to connect to that frequency of the gratitude, the attitude of gratitude of life, of the service of others, of seeing, you know, we can go into Course of Miracles, which is, was written in the 60s, which is all about what you see around you as a reflection of yourself. And so it, it is part of the gratitude is connecting that I am connected to everything and everything is connected to me. Therefore, that helps that hope part when you're having a hard time there, you know, there's an energy force that has your back. If you feel connected to others, it will be easier for you to ask for help. It's really hard for many people to ask for help. It's considered a weakness in most, in most Western societies. So by chanting and connecting to that frequency of, of the energy of Guru Ram Das, it allows you to connect to that service and connection of bowing to our higher consciousness, which helps us to let go of our attachments. It helps us to let go of our stories. It helps us to let go of our hooks so that we can feel that attitude of gratitude, which sometimes is service. Sometimes it's for others and sometimes it's for ourselves. That's so true. And since you mentioned um, other people um, and the fact that we are connected and um, that gratitude helps us with this. Who are some people in your life that uh, have had an impact that you're grateful for that you would like to mention? I would have to say my two sons. I have a <laughs> son in college and I have a son in high school and they have been my greatest teachers. And I think that for me, the attitude of gratitude or the attitude of relating to gratitude and how people help me be more grateful, it is that, that love connection. And the love I have for my two sons, I cannot even explain what that feels like. It's beyond words. And these two humans have pushed every single button in me. <laughs> more than anybody else, maybe other than my parents. And, but yet the love that I have, the love, the, the willingness for me to sacrifice for them is so unconditional that that has been a really, really big lesson to be able to love someone so much and yet not learn at being the parent. I can't be, you know, not to say I have never lost it, but I have to be the adult. I ha I'm teaching them and how to hold by myself and like, okay, they're having a tantrum. I can't join the tantrum. It's not a tantrum party. I have to be the functioning adult. And later, I'm, I'm so grateful because it, it really did force me. I know force is a strong word, but it forced me to change. It forced me to look at myself. When my sons call me on something, a lot of parents get defensive and just say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Or when you get older, you'll understand. Or you know, I'm your superior or don't speak to me that way, but I really stop and listen. Okay. He just said this about my behavior and I stop it. Is there any truth in it? Because they, they know me and sometimes there's truth and sometimes there's not. And if there's no truth, I don't need to lecture them. I just drop it. So <laughs> I'm very grateful for that learning. 
And that's beautiful. And that's really beautiful and very deep. And uh, I'm sure it's it's very inspirational for for many of our listeners, as well as it's for me. But um, now we're nearing the end of our time together, and I wanted to ask you, where can our audience get The Stressless Brain? Um, and where can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, I am in the United States. I live in the Bay Area of California. So I don't ship to Europe. So for all the European um, listeners, there is a online yoga store called Satnam Basant, and they do carry my book. So, and they'll ship in Europe. Um, you can order my book in digital form in audio form. I just finished my audio book. Oh my God, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done was record a book <laughs> in a studio because believe it or not, even though I speak English very well, German is actually my first language. I was born in Amsterdam. I spoke Ooh. Dutch and English. And then I moved to Germany when I was three and a half and I picked up German instantly. I spoke English with my parents, but um, German was my first, I had a very thick German accent when I was young. And then I lived in the States and that's why I have this nice American accent now. <laughs> but um so I did record my book and audio, which you can get on Amazon Audible or on my website, which is mutternan.com. And also the digital version is on my website as well. And I have over 50 meditation tracks and meditations, chanting and breath, all Kundalini yoga meditations. I am creating a Christian meditation album, should be out later this summer. Beautiful. And then I'm going to do Jewish and Hindu. I'm working on the religions. <laughs> wow. I love that. I love that. I love uh, the fact that you're integrating all of them. And um, I think it's amazing because when, when you look at the essence of them, you can, you can find those things that are, that are in common and yes. that bring us together. And um, that talk uh, to our heart and soul and i yes. believe that's that's very beautiful but also don't worry you can you can talk about um our listeners from the states because most of our listeners are from the states oh so. <laughs> well there's free shipping in the states so I, I have the book on my website it's cheaper than amazon and i have free shipping and um i'm more than happy to ship out and i have I did create an album with my older son and 10 of his friends when he was in high school. It's called Sacred Chants of World Religions, and it's, it's chamber acapella hymns being chanted by these 11 high school kids. And we have Hindu, Muslim, Sikh, Jewish, Christian, and I added agnostic for those who don't believe in God. So it's a beautiful album and it's just, I mean, you can just like lay in your pool or lay on your grass or on in your bed or sit in your couch and just listen. I mean, these, it's the sounds of these 11 voices, 12 voices are so beautiful. So that was my first project into incorporating, you know, bringing religion because religion kind of has a bit of a dirty connotation for a lot of people these days and and rightly yeah. so in some ways but we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. there's some there's some beauty in, in in the different religions 
Definitely, definitely. Uh, everyone, uh, religion has its own um, um, depth and truth to it, and it's up to us to to find those those beautiful things that resonate with us and um, mm-hmm. just go go with the flow and um, um, experience those things that um, are right for us. So thank you very much once again for being a guest on the Gratitude Podcast and for doing the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Hey, Gratitude Seeker. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this interview. I really appreciate it. And if you could think of one person that would also benefit from it, share it with them. It might actually be the inspiration that they need to make their day or maybe even their life much better. Thank you so much once again. This has been Georgian Benta. Don't forget to keep seeking and spreading gratitude.